One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you for joining us in the studio with me today. It's... It says here, former Crystal Palace striker. What would you want on your tombstone, James Scowcroft? Would you want Crystal Palace? Would you want you'd want Ipswich, wouldn't you? Um, if, if there's only room for it's one, it's a question I've never been asked before. Probably would never be asked again. I've never thought about. So. There must be one club you identify with more. It's probably not Palace. It's Ipswich, no? Maybe. Always so decisive. And down the line, what's better than a Scowcroft? Why, of course, a Northcroft. It's Jonathan Northrop from the Sunday Times. I don't need to ask you what club you identify with most because I think everybody knows, right? Well, this is it. On, on my tombstone, I did a week's work experience for the Aberdeen Evening Express once. So, former Aberdeen Evening Express work experience. That's what I'm having. There you go. Now, later on, we're going to be discussing the shock resignation of Mr. Buvak and uh, looking ahead at the relegation run-in. But first... Let's start with Arsene Wenger's final visit to Old Trafford as Arsenal manager, barring any twists in the tail, of course. Johnny, I'm going to start with you. Um, Somebody pointed out to me that Wenger was going to get a better send-off at Old Trafford than he was at the Emirates, which seemed a little bit over the top, but... He certainly got a good one with his old pals, Sir Alex and, and Jose Mourinho being gracious. I, that was never really in doubt, though, no, right? N- knowing the, the the personality of those two guys? No, no. I mean, it, it was in some ways better than the game itself. I, 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 I've, I've actually rerun the send-off and, and just, just been fascinated by it so much in the body language. I mean, I loved Wenger giving Fergie... Uh, it's sort of French hug and, and, you know, even though Fergie's trying to be genial, the, the, trying to give an old Scottish man a French hug never really works very well. It's just a, it's just a flinch that, 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 that occurs when he does it. And then Fergie trying to get Mourinho to come and join them and then it's a horribly awkward moment. And Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. But anyway, Wenger deserved that. Of course he deserved that send-off because, I mean, my, my probably abiding memory of, of reporting on his teams would be them winning the league, Arsenal winning the league, at Old Trafford in 2002, and they just seemed such a, a strong, mentally strong team, you know, brilliant on the pitch, but just a really tough, mentally strong team that could do anything, even in the league at Old Trafford, which, you know, let's United were, were, were three times in a row champions at that point. 
And it's sad because, you, you, you know, you now look at him losing yet another game at Old Trafford where he hasn't won probably since 2002 or whatever, and it comes back the old thing that there's two Wengers. You played against that, that Arsenal side, um, and obviously people make comparisons and stuff with the president. It's hard for people to understand, and I'm going to make you feel really old now because it was uh, 16 years ago, and I think I'm not outing anybody. You're also a United fan. Were you playing at the time, or were you watching the game when, when Arsenal won the league at Old Trafford? Is it one of your, your, your scars of your youth? Uh, I remember the game quite well. I watched it on TV. I just Were you at Ipswich at the time? Uh, I was at Leicester at the time. Um, actually played against the Invincibles last day of the season at Highbury when they, got the, uh, when they won the league. And How'd you do? Uh, we were 1-0 up with 20 minutes to go. And Ooh. Arsenal came back and... Um, one two one. I was working yesterday at West Ham, Manchester City, and got asked a question: Who was better, that team or the Man City side? And I, I would have to say the Arsenal side. I think were better. I think really all rounded. Yeah, I, th- I think Jonathan Mates a uh, very good point. Mentally, they were very very strong, very tough. All right, enough with the with the nostalgia. Wenger clearly making a statement to, about moving forward as well, and also he's got the small matter of Europa League semi final coming up. He played a bunch of uh, a bunch of youngsters. The kid Mavropanos. Scotty, when when you play against a team where where the other side are, are resting players, chucking the kids out, is it a different experience? On the one hand, I guess the kids are more motivated, maybe fresher, fresher legs. On the other hand, they they maybe lack experience. What what would the experience have been like for for the United players? I think certainly when you play against teams like that, you go through the motions as well, and I think it can be an an imbalance. It doesn't have the same edge to it like a normal uh, league game. I think United have have second spot now. Arsenal, the league, is is second to them now. They've got a huge game on Thursday night. So I actually think the mentality, the approach of both sides was the reason why we had the game. It it was almost like a pre-season friendly that we see across the pond in, in America, isn't it? it? It just had... There have been so many great Manchester United-Arsenal games down the years, but that, that certainly wasn't one yesterday. Johnny, did you learn anything about United from this game? No, not really. I mean, it was... it was They weren't fantastic to watch, but they were they were efficient in the end. I mean, there was a, a thought that 1-0 they might go on and really thump Arsenal because it was such a young side. And we remember that 8-2 game where it was a similar thing. But they're not built that way. Um, we saw they're not built that way. I think the most significant United thing was, was really Lukaku's injury because so much of the game plan is based around him. I think he's had, actually had a really good season. and I would think that's a huge concern ahead of the, the FA Cup final. I think that's second place secured for United now, really. So it's about that FA Cup final. As far as Mourinho's concerned, I think even his biggest critics would come out and say, well, he's a pragmatist. You know, he's not wedded to a style of play or or a player. So you lose your big, strong target man, and then you got to go with somebody who's maybe more, maybe quicker, more of a front to goal player. That's fine. He'll figure out a combination to make it work with Rashford or your pal Martial, right? I, I don't. I don't think it's. I think it's a blow. I wouldn't think it's the end of the world. I think United have different options and those options can give Manchester United something certainly that Lukaku doesn't give in the, in the big games really so I, I think Lukaku will be fine for the final I don't think it's a uh, okay, Thank you Dr. Scowcroft assuming yeah. he's not 
Right, we don't know right now. There's a well, doubt. If it's not, you've got What's one the alternative? Of the, you've got two of the best young centre forwards in Europe. That I understand can... that, but how are they going to play? How, how would how are the because obviously they're they maybe they're very good, but they're very, they're different from Lukaku, right? So how how do you think that's going to affect the the, the the way they play? I think he'll just bring Rashford straight in. Play does that the same way? Just play with Rashford and lump balls to Rashford instead of to Lukaku. Well, okay. No, you've been just dis- no, very disrespectful I'm now to, to a team that doesn't lump balls but a long pass. Okay, well, if you lump balls to Rashford, no, I'll tell no. you one thing you will get, you'll stretch Chelsea because the pace yeah. the lad has well, with, will, will with cause Rash- Chelsea. Yeah, and obviously Lukaku has pace too, and he's, you know, no, he's, he's... Not not the same pressure. Obviously not, no, but what I'm saying is, I know, maybe you take this for granted because you, you know, you played that position, right? And... I would assume the way the way a team plays, the the movement that Lukaku does versus Rashford is different. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit how that well, changes. One comes to the ball, one goes away from the ball. Exactly. That, that, that so being the mindset of the Chelsea defence. So you're playing against Lukaku, who's a very very difficult player to hang. He's very strong, gets his body in between the line of the ball and the player as well as anybody does in the Premier League. But if he's on the halfway line and he's winning the book, not really going to hurt you. He's not really going to... And you can pressure his first touch. Like he got injured yesterday, this the same way. You you can pressure Lukaku's first touch. With Rashford, it is a different example. Okay, you, you cannot get as tight to him as maybe you can with Lukaku because any space in behind, this lad's as quick as anything in the Premier League. You, you know my thoughts on anti-Martial. I would play him down the middle. I, I think it, the, the kid has got everything... In the next ten years to be whatever he wants to be. Who would you rather Lukaku well, in or out? I, I think if you play Rashford and you're so terrified by Rashford's pace, then there's always then the stretching thing. Then the risk is then the other team's like, okay, fine, look, you got you know, you have the road runner up there, and we'll just sit very very deep, play, and then there'll Sanchez be no space down behind. The middle. I I'd be intrigued by that. I wonder if he's gonna. I wonder if he's gonna do that, especially against uh, sort of a if you have a mass defense, then you know. Maybe there's a maybe there's a way to play to, to to play where you where you unlock them. Maybe you even bring Mata back into the fold. Obviously not a center forward. So I don't know it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean we, we have we have some time to go. I'd say that's enough, United. But I just want to get Johnny quickly, just because we haven't had you on over the change at Arsenal. There was a question I was keen to ask you. At Arsenal, you've got two recruitment brains right now, right? One of them, Raul Sanlehi, spent most of his career at Barcelona. The other one, Sven Mislinstadt, spent a lot of his career in Germany. Different footballing cultures, different different visions. Um, all right, the chief executive is, of course, South African and American. That's that's a different issue. I'm just wondering, in terms of the hunt for the next manager, if you get a German guy or a Spanish guy, is it going to tip the balance one way? Are they perhaps more likely to say, hey, you know what? We'll get a French guy or an Italian guy, or dare I even say Eddie Howe. Just so that there's almost like a, like a division of power and sort of that creative tension is going to make us better. Or do, do you have any, I mean, I'm not so much the name of the manager, but do you have a, it's, it's a very unusual dynamic, isn't it, at a football club? It is. And, and, and you know, there's a power vacuum now where, without Wenger and it's, we're waiting to see who's going to, who's going to flood it and who's, who, what the pecking order is going to be. And, and on top of, um, Mislintat and, and Sanlehi, there, there is the fact that Gazidis, from what I can see, also wants to be something of a something of a, a chief executive that, that that makes football decisions. A bit of a not quite a director of football, but he, he wants to stray into that territory 
too. So I think he wants he wants his imprint on it. He wants his imprint on the, on the future. Um, and and then we've got the owner's son who's 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 starting to get more involved and, and yeah, so may have his thoughts. I I think it's a really interesting point in time for Arsenal because of all those factors, and because you know the lesson of Manchester United is not knowing uh, what they, what they wanted the identity to be post Fergie, and, and Arsenal may face that problem if if they don't sort of sort this pecking order out. And what I heard at the at the the, the, the sort of Gazidis press conference after Wenger left was him describing a lot of Arsene Wenger's key traits and and on the one breath saying we want all these traits in the next manager but on the other, other breath saying we can't uh, replace Wenger so I, I think there's already a confusion to me and I don't know who's going to win it I don't know who's going to win out in that in that power struggle Now, this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup as well. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. And what excites me even more than that is that you get our excellent content. You also get The Sunday Times, where you get Jonathan Northcroft and uh, and some other guys, too. So, your favorite goal of the weekend in the Premier League. James, I'm expecting something really connoisseur, since you played at a far higher level than uh, uh, than any of us. I've gone for Wilfred Zaha's first goal for Crystal Palace at the weekend. Their fine win against another former club, Leicester City, who were very poor. It was a wonderful team move. And it was a good goal by Zaha, who was excellent on the day and has been excellent in recent weeks. Johnny, your choice? Well, I've gone for uh, Fellaini's sort of elbowy, scruffy, but actually quite magnificent header against, good choice. Uh, against Arsenal. I mean, not only was it a, was it a really good finish in, in its way, but I just thought it summed up so much about why we love football because there was Wenger with this great send-off you know he was he was on the brink of engineering a, a really good result with his young team at Old Trafford perfect storyline and then the least Wengerish player in the whole world scores the least Wengerish goal in the whole world <laughs> and it only happens in football it's why football is kind of cruel but it's, it's it's wonderful it's why unscripted drama is better than scripted drama it just kind of summed up and, and the fact that Arsene Wenger wants to continue in this sort of cruel game shows, uh, uh, you know, just just how we get addicted to it, I guess. Even when things like that happen to you and you're 68, you still want to continue. Enough, United. Let's talk about the champions. I know you love talking about this and you were even at the game, Scoey. Manchester City going to uh, West Ham, pummeling them 4-1. They're on their way to break all sorts of records this year. Scoey, you were there. I got the impression, watching on television... Two things stood out. One is West Ham are are really kind of a disjointed bunch, and as much as I love Moyes, I don't need to see Evra at his age in the back three. And or rather, if he's in a situation where he feels compelled to do that, then you know that he's got issues. I mean, I think I think that back three was Evra, Avenging Angel, and uh, Declan Rice. and Declan Rice, who wears number forty seven. So obviously, it was always going to be difficult, but. Did you think West Ham hung in there? Were they a bit, a bit unlucky with some of the officiating, perhaps? West Ham had a, a spell before half-time, 10 minutes, where they really got on top of Man City. They pushed everybody up and went for it and got success. Got a goal and put them under pressure. The 75 minutes around that, 
uh, it's most one-sided football game I think I've seen, Gab. Uh, and and really? I came away and, and I spoke to another player and I, I said, Man City that good or West Ham that poor? And I think the conclusion was a little bit of both. I have to say Man City were fantastic. So I've seen Man City live a few times, but they I could see why uh, they've been so dominant. The the way they stretched a the game, the pace there, the way they passed the ball was fantastic. But God, you know, West Ham just didn't lay a glove on them. It didn't. I couldn't understand what West Ham were doing. They had a lack of pace in the team. They didn't get near them, and when they could have got near them, they they didn't try. I, I, th- I think if you'd have seen Alan Shearer's comments last night, what, probably what would have you eviscerated Chicharito. Not so much. I think. No, no, he absolutely he, destroyed. He did, and he's probably. In fact, we've seen. A- actually, I want to. I want to try just just as a tangent on this, between Sunis putting the boot into Granite Shaka, and Alan Shearer and Chicharito, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just wondering, compared to a few years ago, UX pros turned pundits. Are you a little bit more blunt towards your, towards your your your, your fellow footballers? I mean, are you now speaking the way you would speak to them if you saw a teammate do this on the training pitch? Would you, would you, had, if you were Shaka's teammate, would you have spoken to him after the game the way Suna spoke about him on television? And same thing with, with Sheer and Chicharito. I don't think maybe after the game is the place. I think certainly during the game, those guys came from an era where words would have been said. Hey, Johnny, have you noticed the shift a little bit? I welcome it. I, I, I think we should be able to speak our mind as long as it doesn't get personal, but... Sheer really seemed to be so upset by Chicharito out there. And I struggle to understand this, too, because if you hear Chicharito talk, he's an intelligent guy. Everybody talks about how professional he is. We had Grant Wall here recently who devoted a whole chunk of his book to, to Chicharito and his intelligence, putting the, the, the team first. What's your take? I think it is generational, as, as, as James said, that the football's changed and, and these guys are from an era where um, I think players are maybe held to account a bit more, held to account by their teammates, their coaches, and Maybe the public, and you know, we we are in a sort of world now where where players it does seem can sail through entire careers almost without being particularly criticised and and lots and lots of money. I'm not saying someone like Chicharito personally is like that, but I understand the frustration at seeing guys not do the basic things um, who have the stardom and the money that they do. Because I'm not sure if that did happen so much. In previous years, because dressing and dynamics and managers were different and, and people were called to account at the time. I mean, Sunis looked like he wanted to physically get on the pitch and, and, and either play with or against Zach and do him some kind of, teach him some kind of lesson there but, and then, you know. But has there been a shift in the pundits too? I mean, in the sense yeah. that I, I kind of feel like before they wouldn't, someone wouldn't violate the the fraternity unless it was some guy that they would never run into ever again. Um, I think whereas now they just seem so hard. I think it is encouraged by the industry as well. Right. I mean, I, I think I think that if you look at how, um, let's say, the TV companies operate around their broadcasts, you know, they use social media to try and push everything their pundits say. And of course, what plays well, they think, is is, is hard comment. So, you know, you see the, the good old BBC doing this. If they can get some hard comment from their um, their, their their pundits, they'll. They'll fire that out all over Twitter and, and so on. So I think I think there's there's an encouragement from the industry to do that. But I think it's as I say, it's principally a, a generation thing now, where guys who played 10, 15 years ago are just a little bit appalled by some of the standards of today's professionals. And Johnny, you and I are probably the two biggest David Moyes fans um, mm. in our industry. Um, yep. We just heard from Scoey how it was one of the most one-sided games out there. It really did look 
as if some people either weren't trying, it was it was disjointed. Is this like a Moyes team? Because oh, he's obviously managed bad teams in the past, but yeah. do you have any explanation, any insight? Yeah. I mean, do, you, do you want to make some excuses for a mate? <laughs> I'm not going to make excuses. I mean, West when they're bad, they're really they're one of those teams that when they're bad, they're really bad. West Ham, I think it's it, a lot of it's to do with the way they put together this this very kind of old squad, which physically can't really hang in a game when it's not going well. And, and I suppose Moyes has contributed to that by bringing in Evra to, to add to the Zabaletas and all that sort of stuff. But he brought the improvement about by getting some intensity back into the into the players and I think his problem is that when he then goes into a game like against Manchester City where suddenly the game plan isn't about intensity it's about sitting back then that, that's just not going to work it's probably quite probably quite a confusing sort of picture um, I'm not saying he's confused the players with his tactics but do you know what I mean I think he's I think it's he's he's going away in that kind of game from from what um, has actually brought success since he since he arrived but you know, if you do open up against Manchester City, you're going to get you're going to get killed. And had it been a little bit different, yeah, they might have they might have somehow got to halftime level. And who knows? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. Liverpool uh, have a huge semi-final coming up uh, away to Roma. Um, obviously, the first leg really overshadowed in many ways by uh, by the attack on, on the supporter, uh, on the Liverpool supporter Sean Cox. That's an ongoing crime story. We I think we all pray that nothing happens in the return leg on Wednesday on the pitch. Uh, Liverpool won five two. 
uh, gave up two silly goals. We're not going to look back on that. We're going to try to look forward because on paper, again, there might be some insecurity about the fact that the last time Roma were three goals down from a first leg, they came and they beat Barcelona 3-0. So in some ways, maybe you feel a little less secure if you're a Liverpool fan than you would otherwise. But there's one other factor too, which came out of the blue, which is... uh, Jurgen Klopp's assistant, in a story that was broken by our colleague uh, uh, Duncan Castles, Liverpool's assistant, Buvak, is uh, is gone. Now, Joycey, uh, we got Paul Joyce on the line. Uh, you wrote about it this morning in the paper. What happened? Well, officially, he will no longer be doing first-team duties between now and the end of the season. Um, officially, he's still a Liverpool employee, but it's very difficult to see how he can come back at the end of the season and resume his role. Um, The timing of it's extraordinary, just a few days before Liverpool's biggest game of the season. It just seems that something must must be really broken there, that the decision is taken now and they can't get through to the end of the season with him in place. Um, The suggestion is that it's not so much a fallout between Klopp and Buvac, but equally... It's a significant blow to Klopp because, you know, this is a man who who he describes as the brain and he's worked alongside for the last 17 years since he took over as, as a coach at Mainz. So he's been there every step of the way. The success that they had at Dortmund, um, Buvat is central to all the training that Liverpool do. So at a key point in the season for him to you know, move away from the first team and no longer to be around, that is a pretty extraordinary development, really. For those who don't know, when when you see the Liverpool bench uh, during games, obviously Klopp is the guy who everybody recognises with the glasses. Then there's the the little creepy guy who tries to make himself look like a smaller version of Klopp. And who is that guy, by the way? That's uh, Cormier, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's right. (laughs) I'm sure it's just a coincidence. But then most of all, Buvac is the guy with the jet black long hair that is always kind of joined at the hip, as you mentioned, 17 years. Now, Liverpool put out a statement. I I think clubs often choose their words very carefully. I'm assuming if it was some sort of, and I know we're in the realm of speculation, but hey, this is part of the job. If, If it was something where he had a personal issue or a family issue, the club would have said he has a personal issue or a family issue. Leave him alone. That's why he's no longer here, right? I mean, that, that would stand well, to reason. Have said, Liverpool have, have said it's personal reasons. Right, but in those situations, what? normally, I'm giving away secrets of the trade here, Joyce. When, when it's personal reasons, they might just say it's personal reasons, and then they would tell the media, you know, he's got uh, a, a, an ill family member or whatever, or and. And then the media, we in the media, then we kind of back off and just say it's personal reasons. We don't talk about it more. Like like what happened yeah. with, 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 with David Silva earlier this year yeah, yeah. where, yeah. you know, they told us why. They said, don't talk about it. And then Silva yeah. obviously revealed it himself. Yeah, Johnny, I, I want to get you on this because obviously you, you've lived in Liverpool. You, you know the situation. I, I, I'm, I struggle to understand what would prompt somebody who has made football and coaching his life's work. And, and by the way, just to... If you're an assistant coach, unless maybe if you're Rui Faria, you are not a multimillionaire, especially if you weren't a great player, right? So 
this guy has devoted his life to to Klopp and to working with him. There were former teammates as well. He's 180 minutes away from becoming European champion, 90 minutes away from going to Kiev to take on either Real Madrid or Bayern. He's got to know that walking away now is is, is inevitable. I mean... <laughs> It's got to be something serious, I guess, is what I'm driving at. Yeah. Something that he couldn't put yeah. up with anymore. I, I, I think so. We are, we are guessing a bit, but I mean, a couple, couple of things to note. What you know, one would be, uh, if anyone should have a look at Rafi Honigstein's Twitter this morning. He's written the book about Klopp, but he points out that the, the, this pair have actually had quite a volatile relationship in the past. That's maybe been part of the, the creative tension in that relationship that they, they, they have had. Um, you know, confrontations, arguments. Um, I spoke to Matt Hummels recently at Bayern and he talked about working in Klopp's dressing room and as, as Klopp's, you know, sort of key lieutenant on the pitch, having stand-up rows with him in the dressing room. And, and, and this being part, I think, of the the, the kind of environment, um, full-blooded environment that, that, that Klopp, Klopp creates. So actually, if there's, if there's been a fallout, this must be a serious one because, as I say, fallouts are probably part of Part of life to a certain extent in that in, in, in that environment, and and people kind of, you know, as Humble said, you you, you you got over it very very quickly because that's how it was, and Jurgen didn't bear grudges. And this is a time that Steven Gerrard may be about to leave the club, and it's also a season where Pep Linders left the club. So all of a sudden, you, you you've got a very changing kind of unstable situation in the backroom as at this point where, as Joyce has said, that it, it, it's such a key part of the season and it's hard to think of this instability as being a good thing at all for, for, for Liverpool's ambitions in, in, in the Champions League. Joyce, before we let you go, two points. One is um, sometimes Johnny is so erudite and so knowledgeable that he assumes that everybody knows who he's talking about. Uh, I have no idea who Per Linders is, so if you can tell me who, who he is and why he's important, uh, assuming you know it's not just a name that Johnny made up on the spot. <laughs> Um, Pat, Pat Linders was um, first team development coach who, who who was a link between the um, first team and the academy. Created a talent working group for players like Ben Woodburn, Trent Alexander-Arnold. He would oversee their development and, and make the link between the academy and the first team um, smoother. Okay. He 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 rechristened Buvach instead of the brain. He called him the human computer, which again is a is a is a um, gives you an illustration of how highly Buvach has been thought of and how integral to everything he's been. Peplind has left earlier this season to go to NEC Nimmerdin, I think, in in Holland, um, and is with them now, and is a was a very was and himself was a very highly regarded coach. I don't think Klopp really wanted to leave, let him go, but the, the opportunity for right. for him was, was such he wanted to go. So you could have Pep Linders has gone, Stephen Gerrard could be leaving from the academy to go to Rangers, depending on how talks go. Buvac, personally, I think he, I don't see how he comes back. Um, even though you know Liverpool are saying there's still that chance. So as Johnny said, there there is a there is instability there behind the scenes, and the the, the head of physiotherapy Andy Renshaw left um, earlier in the season. Um, 
So yeah, there's some key key decisions leaving for Liverpool. Final question, just about the uh, lineup on Wednesday, with so many injuries, especially in midfield, his hands are kind of tied. Is it safe to say that Robertson and Mane are fit, and so we'll probably see the same lineup that we saw in the first leg, with the exception, obviously, of Wijnaldum uh, uh, for for Oxley Chamberlain. Yeah, I think that I think that's all he's got really. And yeah, the midfield is he's down to sort of last men standing there. It's Henderson, um, Milner, and Wijnaldum, and it's quite interesting. You know, Johnny was at, at the game on Saturday against Stoke as well, and Henderson is a player who sort of polarizes opinion a little bit and bears the brunt of a bit of criticism. But when he went down in the, I think it was the 44th minute, the hush around. Yeah. Anfield then was was really noticeable and, and that in a way was a, a backhanded compliment to Henderson because he'd been exceptional in the first game against Roma. The challenge for him is to, you know, repeat that now in in the second leg. I want to touch upon relegation because all right, I'm gonna go through this at the top and you guys pay some attention, please. Um Nobody's been relegated yet. Um, the points totals are... Brighton are on 37 points. They've got three games to go. West Ham and Huddersfield, they're on 35. They also have three games to go. Swansea on 33, three games to go. Southampton, 32, three games to go. Stoke on 30, two games to go. And West Brom on 28, two games uh, to go. Now... We could get some answers already next weekend. West Brom, um, if they fail to beat Spurs, they're down. And uh, Stoke will go down if they achieve a worse result than Swansea. Uh, Stoke, of course, hosting Crystal Palace. Um, anybody want to argue that West Brom have a prayer? No. Okay. Uh, to be fair, given that Tottenham are Tottenham, given that Darren Moore is magic, they could, and given that Palace will be safe by the time they play them, West Brom could finish on 34 points. And as of right now, there are three other teams. But no, it's, it seems extreme. Uh, Stoke, I think, is more is more interesting because I think they can beat, again, they can beat Palace. I think, I'm not saying Palace are all going to be on the beach now, but Palace are basically safe. Um, and that would set up quite the game at the end of the season where where they would play Swansea away where, you know, Swansea, a tricky run because they've got Bournemouth away, which, all right, actually, they'll probably beat Bournemouth, won't they, at this stage? That's what makes it so tricky because there's, there's all these teams that have nothing to play for, and you know when players go on the beach, right? Like, he's nodding. He's nodding. It doesn't just happen in certain leagues. It happens here too, doesn't it? Johnny? Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. I mean, what kind of team is best to play against at this this time of season? Well, it's, it's, it's surely the kind of fixture that West Ham have got next. It's against Leicester. It's against a, a mid-table team who who have nothing to play for and actually are a little bit depressed at how the season's petering out. So, I mean, look, it's interesting. You speak to the managers, and, and from a long way out, managers have been saying to me, 36 points, that's what's needed. And it's, you, you hear that, and I don't know how they know, but they tend to know. These, these guys in the relegation fight and I, I think 36 points will be the total which is why Stoke's position is so interesting because if they 
if they win the last two games, that's because you know they will be on 36 points. And if you look at who Huddersfield have got next in their remaining three games, I'm not sure they'll get. To 30. Are, are you well, taking? The, sorry, Jonathan. Are you taking goal difference into account here? You're right, Scott. You could have you could have several teams on 36. Because Stoke's um, goal difference is poor, isn't it? It's, it's not. It's poor. But I, but I think I think Huddersfield may just be stuck on their their, their points total, um, which which means it will then be down to. Swansea and Southampton. See, I, I, th- I think, and I, I've right. got a clue. I think Huddersfield will, will get a point from their one of their three games. I just think they will do. Yeah. I think Arsenal at home they could oh, get sorry, a point. Sorry. Huddersfield have Manchester City away with the guy obsessed with breaking records and showing West Ham no mercy. Oh, they have Chelsea away, who, for better or worse, until Chelsea play play Liverpool. Um, they need to win that game because they're still they're, they're still hoping for top four. Yeah. Plus, for all we know, Spurs could lose tonight. Um, I have Arsenal at home on the last day of the season, and the you know send-off. the Wenger you know, send-off. Like, Huddersfield and, and could make just works like that, doesn't it? No, you no, know, no. But what I'm what there. I'm saying is what I'm saying is obviously we agree. You want to play the teams that are on the beach, right? But I, if I'm Huddersfield, I'm really sweating this because you could get no points. Brighton as well could theoretically. Brighton have United at home, which okay, maybe Mourinho doesn't care, but. His players, no doubt, do. City away, same argument as before. You know, the Guardiola and his quest for 100. And Liverpool away in the last day of the season, where if Liverpool lose to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, which is entirely possible, um, Liverpool will need a point to finish top four. Even Brighton aren't safe. I mean, I, you know, Southampton get two wins in their last three, which are Everton away. Boy, There's that, too many teams be- below Brighton to... to f- Brighton are pretty good. You though. would have to be the most... If you were a Brighton player, support, you'd have to be so really unlucky, unlucky looking at that list to get okay. relegated. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you two questions. I'm going to start with you, Scoey. So, Johnny, think about it. We all agree West Brom are going down. What, what two other teams will go down, in your opinion? And what two teams would you love to see go down? And you know you can't say Manchester City or Liverpool's going because they're not going I, down. I'm going to put my neck on the line and say the bottom three, as it stands, will go down. So Stoke City and Southampton will go down. And who would you like to see? Who do you think deserves to go down? It's a bit harsh, that. Oh, come on, te- teams that play crappy football, teams with managers you don't like, teams that have been lucky or dirty. It'd be interesting if West Ham went down. Really? Yeah. You'd like to see West Ham and Stoke go down, I presume. Yeah, he does. It's his vendetta against David Moyes for for that year at Old Trafford when he messed up when he messed United up forever. Johnny, which two teams I, I, will go down, and who would you like to see go down? Well, I think Huddersfield are going to drop in. Um, I actually want the Swansea might as well. So I think one of Stoke or Southampton is going to survive. I find it it's quite hard to to pick I guess if I had to pick I had to bet bet money on it I'd bet on Southampton surviving if you look um, at Southampton I'm looking at Southampton now. Everton away isn't an easy game why no I just don't think it is why? I think Everton have got a bit no. of momentum at the moment I, I think I they've got Sam's got the bit between his teeth they're scoring goals why does Sam even care at this point he's done his job listen hear me out Man City at home okay they're going for records so so They've got one huge cup final where Swansea away, which they have to win, yeah. have to win, because a point just isn't going to do it. That's why I think Southampton are struggling. So who do you think deserves to go down? Well, 
I don't look at it on, you know, who's played nice or nasty football. I just look on who, who's good at giving you interviews. And Southampton have got a dreadful press office who uh, are, are, are very hard to negotiate with. Really? Um, yeah, awful. Yeah, they don't even return your, your text messages or, or, or emails. You can't get them on the phone. So they can go. Um, <laughs> and I'm not too bothered about the other ones. Uh, I, I, I certainly don't want to see West Ham go down for obvious reasons. Um, I haven't particularly enjoyed watching themes like, I, I guess, Watford of late, but they're safe. Um, Huddersfield are kind of cute, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Southampton can go and I'm not bothered uh, about that. Which I, d- I don't think they will do because I think they're, they're yeah. doing well at the moment. If Stoke beat Palace at the weekend, that then throws a major spanner into the yeah. works as well because I think they, they could then go to Swansea. Swansea are the team that worry me from, from, from their, their loss of momentum. You know, they, they were almost safe and they, it's just petered out for them. And but they got two home they, games, Jonathan, and I think yeah. at the Liberty Stadium, two home games. The raucous Liberty Stadium. 20,000 Welshmen cheering on the Swans. Yeah. Swans, boy, what? That's, what an intimidating creature. I'll tell you what, West Ham. <laughs> West Ham need to get something at Leicester at the weekend. Yeah. But Leicester are Because West Ham, Manchester United, there's no love lost there. I see that no. now. And then Big Sam coming back to relegate West Ham. Ooh, that would that would be so mean. All right, I, I, I personally, you know what? I like the Champions League. I like titles. But I love the intensity. I'm going to be so psyched to. I, I'm kind of. I'm. I'm psyched that there is no title race this year. Obviously, I'll pay some attention to what happens to, to the top four finish. But the games I'm really looking forward to is. I hope we get these these sort of do or die Swansea Southampton, and of course uh, uh, Swansea Stoke. The, the drama. You got everything. Oh, go on then. Let's, uh, name your teams then. We, we know we know we got drama. That's stating the obvious. Three teams. Go. Who I think are going to go down? Yes. I think it's uh, West Brom, Stoke, and Huddersfield. And I'll feel bad if Huddersfield go down because... But at the beginning, and you know what? I don't really care. As long as Aaron Moy gets another team. Chelsea keep their flimsy top four hopes alive by winning away at Swansea 1-0 with Giroud once again getting the nod ahead of Morata. Scoey, is Conte's choice more down to Morata being bad right now or Giroud being good right now? I think consistency-wise, he gets more from Giroud than what he gets from Morata. I think Morata can be certainly the more all-round player. But I think Giroud's just consistent. I think he knows what he gets with him. That's why he's going with him. Percentage chance Chelsea finish top four? Uh, 20% chance. Liverpool are held by Stoke as Salah uncharacteristically squanders a guilt as chance. But Johnny, we don't need to talk about this because... um, they didn't really care. They were all focused on Roma, and uh, he rested everybody. Let's talk instead about Stevie G, potentially. It's weird because I say potentially. It looked like a nailed-on deal, and then today we heard from Paul Joyce who said that, well, they're still talking and stuff, but the news would be Stephen Gerrard would get his first senior job in management at Glasgow Rangers. Well, I, I don't know if you've, you've heard the joke going around that um, they want him because... Steven Gerrard's the man that stops Brendan Rodgers winning leagues. But I, so. <laughs> um, I, I, like, yeah, I really like Stephen. Um, and uh, personally, I think it would be a really difficult job for him to start with. I think he can be a really good coach, and I, I just think he should think twice about it. Just because it's so difficult, Celtic are miles ahead of everyone at the moment. It's like They're like Bayern Munich now in Scotland, uh, and Rangers are like, I guess, Dortmund, but Dortmund with the pressure that they have to win um, and expect expectation unrealistic. So. 
difficult. But I suppose with Brendan leaving to take the Chelsea job, it could be all different next yeah. year, and yeah. and Scott Brown <laughs> taking over, you know. Well, no, if 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 maybe Stephen knew something about Brendan, if if, if Brendan Rodgers wasn't there, then I think it is a good job. But at the moment, you're looking at a juggernaut of a team that's going for nine in a row under Brendan, superior players, bigger income. It's so it's so difficult, and would he get the time to develop in that role with that pressure? Before people tweet me, I was joking about Scott Brown taking over as Celtic manager next year. I don't know the guy at all. Has he has he ex- has he expressed any interest in managing at some point? Not, not, don't think so yet. But I think he will. I think I think, I think Brendan will Brendan will um, coax him on that journey. He likes doing that. And I could see him. I could see him managing. Everton went away to Huddersfield, but Big Sam still has plenty of critics. But Wayne Rooney's not one of them. Who says Allardyce is a great fit? Are you on board with Rooney, Scully? If, if, if you were if you were Farhad Mashiri, who definitely owns Everton all by himself because he's got a lot of money, um, would you stick with Big Sam? Or would you say, you know what? You did your job. Boom. Done. Let's seriously plan here. I think I would stick with Big Sam. I, I don't get the anti-Sam Allardyce at Everton, I, I don't. I can remember watching one the of David's. The fans really don't seem to like him. I know, the fans and, and are your, if you're Farhad Mashiri, the fans are your customers, right? Well, that that's great. But if you then sack Sam and then appoint somebody else and come November time, like you're, in the, you're in the same place, same position as what you were at the beginning where they found themselves before they appointed Sam. You've got bigger problems. And I think sometimes it's the, st- the stability if you look at Sam signings Cenk Tosen seems to be a good centre forward I think Theo Walcott was a sensible signing for, for Everton as well don't get it Big Sam's number one fan Mauricio Pochettino Spurs play tonight um, but last week I, I kind of minimised it but in the build up he was once again coy about his future he talked about how the club's project wasn't going to change regardless about whether or not he was going to be there uh, he he said, I'm not Sir Alex, and I'm not Arsene Wenger. And I'm like, yeah, you know, really? I hadn't noticed. But uh, he said, you know, I'm not going to ask for a pay rise. I'm not going to ask for an extension. At the same time, there's reports that Spurs want to give him an extension. Tony, what do you make of this? Should my Tottenham supporting friends be concerned? Can you explain what the Potch is doing? Yeah, they should possibly be concerned because of, well, two things. Real Madrid, we don't know what's going to happen with Zidane, but if, if he goes, uh, Poch will be pretty much top of the list. I think he might want to keep that option open. He can't lose by bringing this up. And he brought this up voluntarily that I might not be the one that finishes this project. If you look at what he said um, this weekend, he talks about being bolder with transfers. So to me, it, it looks like he's he's sending a message to the board that if this project is going to continue with me, I need I need better transfers or bolder transfers and the options being kept open um, see what happens in the summer job wise I think it's it's kind of smart by him it's, you see managers do this Capello did this beautifully with the FA several times um, I just think it's one of these manager power plays which he doesn't feel he can lose out of he either gets more money for transfers or the conditions are there from the walk away Scoey your old club Crystal Palace, one of many old clubs, are virtually safe. Uh, so it's time to tip our collective hats to Roy Hodgson, who took over a real-life disaster area. I think you were a little skeptical about Uncle Roy when he was appointed, although I think like most, you said there's no way he's going to be worse than his predecessor. I'd like you to praise Roy, if you deem it appropriate, and also tell me again 
why every year it's the same old, same old, same old nonsense with the manager at that club? Uh, I don't think it will be. I think there'll be some stability now at Crystal Palace. I hope so. I think Roy will, will certainly... He's a young and up-and-coming manager who will no doubt stay no, there. No, I, I think... I think Roy's a perfect fit for Crystal Palace at the moment with where he is in his stage. I think he's he knows the game very well. He has done a good job. Listen, Crystal Palace got some good players, Gab. They've they've got a high wage bill, they've got a lot of experience in their team. You say they've got they have they have some good players, they they have some very good midfielders. Um but if you look at, you know, Loftus Cheek missing so much of the season and you see when he's fit what he can do. You look at the injuries they had at the back. You look at the fact that Benteke, I think, has scored only a couple goals more than you did this season, and you've been retired for a while now. You know, having to reinvent Zaha up front with freaking Andros Townsend, that's quite an achievement, especially given the negativity of the way they started. Yeah, the start, though, but three of the games were under Roy. So they had seven games where they, they didn't win, they didn't score a goal. Four were under De Boer. Three under. I know, and they had the whole preseason under the boar, and so they were. They were all. I mean, I don't know. I, I. I. just think it was a smart appointment. It's a sensible appointment by Parish. Yeah. There you go. Your friend. Our friend. Darren Moore does it again. If the season began in April, uh, West Brom would be in the Champions League spots or thereabouts. Uh, Johnny, to what do you attribute the turnaround, or is it just God no longer needing to punish the club for employing Alan Pardew? <laughs> well, I think there's an art to sacking managers in a relegation fight. And you're talking about Crystal Palace, they've done it several times. They've got experience of it. They kind of know who they're looking for and when to do it. Swansea are the same. I think West Brom just made the decision too late that it wasn't working with Pardew. He probably should have had a shorter reign, funnily enough. Um, maybe Stoke did it too late to bring Lambert in. Um, Darren Moore fits what West Brom are about, and, and he's so loved. He's such a, a, a kind of rallying figure that, that they're definitely getting that, at least that short-term benefit of, of um, I don't know, identity being restored or however you want to put it. If they'd done it earlier, maybe they'd survive. I know when he was appointed, um, I think it was Yusko, he just talked about how big he was, but um, <laughs> he... There's a wonderful story. We tweeted it. It's from the local paper. I guess it's the Express and Star. But he talked about sort of playing football under an underpass and how he always wanted to be a cricketer I suppose you because of his background. My tweet, I think you did there. Oh, that retweeted your tweet. There you go. He always wanted to be a cricketer, and then, uh, uh, and, and then he saw, I guess, Laurie Cunningham play, and and, yeah. and said, "No, hey, how about I go do that?" I know he's a really he's, good guy. I played against Darren a lot in my career, and he was awful to play. He's so big and strong, aggressive, off the field, a real good guy, good human being, and he's probably given West West Brom a bit of a problem now, haven't they? Do they carry on with him, or do they look for someone else? Gap one for you. Serie A was the last title race in Europe, but I guess that's no longer the case. No, and it was incredibly dramatic Saturday night. Uh, Juventus, one-point lead over Napoli, the momentum all with Napoli. They went to play Inter Milan, absolutely wild game. Juventus scored first, then Inter Milan had a player sent off with the help of VAR, uh, Matthias Vecino. You can see Mario Mandzukic afterwards, he tweeted the gash on his, uh, on his ankle fearsome stuff, 10 stitches. Controversially, Miralem Pjanic was not sent off for what should have been a second yellow. Pretty grotesque decision. Everybody infuriated. Plucky Inter Milan with 10 men. They equalize, and then they take the lead. They, they go 2-1 up, and it looks like they're going to do it, and the title's heading to Napoli, and then uh, Juve scored twice. Uh, one goal with a deflection in, in the last three minutes. 
and then it was compounded the next day with Napoli losing in uh, in Florence. And uh, yeah, the lead is now four points, and you don't see how Juve can let this slip away. Juve really are the, the cat with 99 lives. Uh, what I will say about Juve, though, is they are not playing well, and they're kind of backing into uh, into this title. But they all count, and it would be seven in a row for them if they pull it off. Hi there, and welcome to the Sweeper, which is the Times' fancy football tip service, and quite a weekend it was for us, wasn't it? I'm Charlie Scott, with Paddy Bombay, as ever. Hello. Yeah, so do send Tadic, Paddy, talk to me, because when you put that in the email, I wasn't sure where you were coming from. Well, I was just quite keen on the idea that Southampton need points and um, clearly have a better squad than their position in the league reflects. Um, we've been banging on about Charlie Austin for a few weeks now, but Tadic is a class player. You know he can pop up with goals occasionally, and uh, maybe a bit of back-to-the-wall stuff might inspire him. And uh, what do you know? A brace and 15 points this week. Can't argue with that. Hopefully a few people listen. Yeah, fingers crossed. So Tadic was the top-scoring player in fantasy Premier League land so far. Obviously Tottenham playing Watford this evening. Another person who we bigged up, and we have been doing for some time since his return from injury, is Wilfred Zaha. 14 points for him as Palace were just sensational. Yeah, again, another team who need points and uh, playing against the Leicester side with nothing left to play for, really, and it showed that sort of thing happens at this time of year. And in the last couple of weeks, it's definitely worth looking out for those who need points because um, they're going to be trying a lot harder to get them. Definitely. And who else? Who else? Well, at the top of the table, it's all about City again, isn't it? Uh, it looks like they're going to keep picking a strong team. They're going to be going for records. They've got um, an incredibly easy double game week coming up. So my first advice this week would be as many City players as you can get, find them. Uh, specifically, I guess Sterling and Jesus are probably the two safest options. Um, and if you've got your triple captainship left, they're going to be uh, candidates for that, I think. Double game week 37 coming up, five of the top six are playing. Obviously, I think the standout two teams in terms of their fixtures are Spurs and City, but where would you be looking? I think those two. Those are the best places to go. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, Southampton have got a lot to play for and they've got two games, um, two fairly friendly ones. So again, Tadic or Charlie Austin, someone like that could be useful. The one thing you might want to think about this week is actually selling Mohamed Salah, finally. Already have. Have you? Liverpool have only got one game. It's Chelsea away. Um, it's obviously a risk selling him, but if it means you can get someone like Ericsson or Sterling with two fixtures, uh, the point scoring potential is so much bigger there that uh, it could be worth finally doing that. Definitely, definitely. And I think a lot of people have been saving up the triple captain for this double game week. Where's yours going? Uh, it's probably going to go to Kane. I'm going to see what he does against Watford tonight and then base my decision on that. Looking further ahead... We sent out in Friday's email our latest competition question, the price of which is quite special, isn't it, Paddy? Yeah, we've got two free tickets to this exclusive um, Times Plus World Cup preview event, uh, and uh, and the guests are uh, are definitely worth listening to. Yeah, so Tony Cascarino, the former Ireland striker, who's a Times columnist, will be joined by Alison Rad, Matt Dickinson, and a special guest who we can reveal as being Roy Hodgson, the former England manager. So if you want to be in the running for that, then make sure you sign up for the sweeper at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. And this week's email will have a, the question repeated. All you've got to do is send in the answer. And you could be there speaking to Roy about all things England and Crystal Palace, if you're of that persuasion. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guest today, James Scowcroft here in the studio, and Jonathan Northcroft. That's plenty of Crofts for you. In fact, our producer Charlie made a joke about Crofts, which is a dog show here in England. Ha 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 ha. I'm glad he keeps his day job. Uh, remember, just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. You can search Times Online, and you will get our excellent content. At least I think it's excellent. And uh, you can access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup as well. 
We're going to be back next Monday. It's Chelsea versus Liverpool. It's the penultimate weekend of the Premier League, and it's Arsene Wenger's final game at the Emirates. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.